You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Kevin O'Brien. He's talking to me from Brisbane, Australia. Kevin, thanks so much for being with me today. Hi, Brainerd. Great to be here. I mean, it's actually tomorrow. That's what's always amazing, talking to Australia, isn't it? It's Wednesday now? Wednesday it morning? is, yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Um, bright and sunny here and another week of lockdown, which is great. So, uh, yeah, so let's, let's hear about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking to people throughout the pandemic. We're talking in, in July 6th. We're at a different point. Um, what's happening there? You're in lockdown? Is that is that the current situation? It is, yeah, yeah. We've had, I mean, we've had a very good run the last year, if that's possible to say, um, mainly because we're an island here in Australia, but um, we're just a bit slow getting out of the gates on um, vaccination rates, so we're well behind the rest of the world on that. So we're, um, although we had a, a great amount of freedom uh, during the past 12 months, it's kind of come to a bit of a halt now because uh, the, the little outbreaks that do hit sort of take off and become rampant. So you know, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane have had a um, uh, tough couple of weeks lately. So, um, but you know, on the in the scheme of things, we don't have much to complain about compared to the rest of the world. So, um, yeah, but it's to... interesting. It all takes place on a different timeline and under different circumstances. So it's a uh, it's an it's a it's an extreme lockdown there. It's a complete lockdown. Yeah, it is. It is, and I think the way uh, Australians deal with it um, is. I mean, there's a genuine sense of um, community responsibility to, to sort of do the right thing and stay home and isolate. But um, it's still a um, uh, yeah, it's still a, you know tough thing to, to deal with locally, as you know. Um, I guess the states has gone through the same thing. So yes, but we're not as um, uh, sensible, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we we, 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 we we have half the country that doesn't believe it exists, and and has yeah. a whole other set of theories. So, you know, uh, we're we're in a little true. bit of the twilight zone here. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it should um, be manageable here. We're only what we're, the Australian population is roughly the size of New York State, so we, we should be it should be a little easier to deal with um, and control. So. Right. And and so, what are you doing now? What are you? Let's talk about your work. I know you're probably working on multiple projects, but what's on the on the table at the moment? Oh, look, I've got got a couple of things going. So, as you know, I'm, uh, I practice as an architect, but um, and in that space, we're we're doing you know, uh, some work with some of the universities, uh, working on a tower at Atlassian in Sydney, um, with shop architects from New York. That, that's a fantastic project. Um, the other two sort of spheres I work in as well, one's in uh, academic um, research with the University of Sydney, but the one I'm really most excited about is the work I do with other artists, particularly in um, visual and performing arts. So at the moment I've got a, a set uh, design for a um, local uh, theatre work going on here, which is great, and uh, there's a festival coming up on the Gold Coast called Bleach Festival. So. For that, I'm doing a, a series of installations that are um, actually 3D printed shrouds that uh, reference um, original Banksia seed pods from that um, locality. Um, and it sets out a whole space for sharing food uh, and dining at night. So let, let, let's jump into that one. That sounds fascinating. I mean, I'm interested in, in, in all of your work, but let's talk about those installations. Um, 
I'd like to talk more about the details of them, but perhaps we should just talk about the genesis of them. What what are these installations uh, designed, so to speak, to to accomplish? I, mean, I know it's art, uh, but what was that? Well, what's your thought process going into this uh, as as also an architect? Yeah, so I think <clears throat> probably the the origin of all the thinking is coming uh, from some work that started back in 2005. Uh, with a friend of mine, a guy called Michael Markham from Melbourne, who's a, um, a bit of a mentor of sorts. So he, he and I started this idea of, um, well, he challenged me one day about how to think about the city. And he said, you know, if you, rather than adding to the city, as we do as architects, if you, had, if you could go the other way and take stuff away from the city, what would you do and how would you do it? And, and I had thought about it for a week and I said, well, actually what I'd do is I'd remove parts of the city to reveal this concept of country and, and the concept of country is an Aboriginal sort of condition here in Australia and um, and from that it sort of got me thinking and it's affected all the work whether it's in academic practice or architectural practice but I get you know some fantastic um, experiences in artistic practice where that idea just says ultimately that there's prompts for what you're looking for right in front of you on the on the ground just standing and if you, if you can kind of look beyond the colonial layer and into other layers that exist, including not just the Aboriginal layer, but the multicultural layers, um, technological layers, global layers, that you can actually draw out um, more from here as opposed to importing it in from somewhere else. So that oh, has oh. meant, yeah, that, it, it, it's a big origin. <laughs> when it comes down to something like the Bleach Festival, it means... The thing I'm looking that's, for that's, that's for okay, but the, inst but the installations, I mean, I, mean, I love the idea of also nature. I'd love to talk more about that, uh, the, the, yeah. the kind of countryside. But is that what will be involved in the installations that you mentioned, where you're 3D yeah. printing uh, shrouds? Yeah, absolutely. It is. So it's um, um, the... Basically, yeah, part, of, part of my heritage is Aboriginal, and the, and the reason that I think that way is because I'm culturally programmed, like every other Australian um, and it, it means for the bleach festival when I'm doing these shrouds I was looking around for an idea to, to start thinking about what it is I do so Rosie Dennis who's the curator and director there sort of just came to me with a blank brief and said can you do something and that was it um, and we've got $30,000 Australian to do something so there wasn't much guidance around what something meant <laughs> so apart from saying we, you know, we're doing these festival things and and the, the reason it became a light shroud was because I wanted to be careful. I don't describe myself as an artist. Um, that I only uh, thought about my contribution as an architect. And it meant that I'd have to contribute to the making of some kind of setting for, for people to, um, to come together in. So the, there, was a, there was a side conversation about them wanting to, to make a place to eat. And I was thinking about, well, life's, life's important. And particularly at night, and if you can um, think about the light in such a way that it, it um, suggests where you might want to sit or how you could occupy uh, something, as well as give it an ephemeral condition, as well as connect people, at least conceptually, to the place in a slightly deeper way, then that might be something in it. So, anyway, one thing led to another, and now we've made these um, halfway through printing these. Uh, um, um, these drums that are about what, 300 mil wide and 1800 high, so there's 15 of them being suspended through the um, introduced pine 
trees that were put on the beach um, about a century ago. Wow. So, so tell me also about the shrouds. Where, where do they come in? So the, the shroud is, I guess, a, it's adapted from this little banksia uh, tree that um, uh, is native to the coastal line around where the, the site is, which is a place called Burley Heads on the Gold Coast, which is a, a beautiful beach. But a lot of the endemic species were stripped um, last century for part of all the coastal sand mining. So they literally went through where the Gold Coast is now. That was this fab- fabulous sort of wetland, and it was totally stripped for um, the sand mining. And then it became, um, I guess, what you see on TV these days, which is a sort of a, a kind of um, um, high-rise metropolis on the on the coast. Um, but there's little remnant pockets in uh, some parts, particularly as you go further south on the Gold Coast, and the banks here was actually used for a number of different um, uses by the, the local um, Aboriginal people on that part of the coast, and um, the Yugambeh people. It was used to carry fire, and um, it was used to make tea. So it had all these qualities, but there's no real kind of presence of it, um, you know, uh, in, the, in the same way it used to be. So, with these introduced species being put in, you kind of get this. Uh, it's sort of a, an, an unreal landscape because it's so heavily curated. All the trees are lined up in classical avenue lines, so there's nothing sort of natural about it in that way. But they are beautiful trees, nonetheless. But, um, but the, the seed pot is, is incredibly architectural, and it's it's sort of a long cylinder thing, um, albeit only sort of what could fit in the palm of your hand. So. Um, it's just such a beautiful form and it sort of extracted it and kept drawing it and drawing it and you know, looking at it through a bottom of a, a glass bottle until it sort of become abstracted enough that I could sort of see some idea of a form in it. And then, and then how are the shrouds made? What is that? You said they were 3D printed. How does that... Yeah, so we're working, working with some good friends of mine over at a place called UAP, Urban Art Projects, who... Um, have a big uh, workshop here in Brisbane, but also in New York, um, and they do a lot of um, public art um, manufacturing around the globe. And uh, they, I sort of came to them with this thing, and they they've been investing heavily in robotics and 3D printing and all this sort of stuff. And um, so they came up with this idea to help um, help you fine tune the form so that it could be 3D printed, and then they've set the um, programming off to kind of, uh, well, basically have a production line of pumping these things out over the next couple of weeks. So we're sort of halfway through the print now, I think, and um, just figure out how to actually hang the things, get them up there, um, what the material is, how the light performs in them, what kind of light we use, like all the technical stuff that you know you've got to, to go through and consider to, to get the right feel. So it's been great, great experience. Yeah, that sounds exciting. And um, I'd like to also talk about that the notion you mentioned before, if I understood correctly what you would, um, a way of interacting with a city, a way of, of bringing in, um, you know, more, more of nature. I'm, I'm paraphrasing you and not saying it as well as you did, but that seems to tie into to the thinking of, of the project you just mentioned as well as your geography and, 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 and more. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? What were you saying? You were talking about bringing a kind of open space to the city or, or something like that? 
Well, no, look, it's, it's kind of... Um, Ultimately, it's about how you make uh, how you can make something by removing matter. So, you know, I, get, I think sculptors get it as a technique, particularly mm. classical sculptors, where you're removing matter to arrive at the form. And that, that's kind of the I think that's really the that's really the methodology of it. I think, um, but you can take that and you can apply that to how you think about the city. So it's not necessarily meaning you're cutting buildings out to make parks. You can cut out the middle of a building to make a courtyard um, or a terrace or make these other things that put you in some relationship with um, this idea of country. Now, the, the, the idea of country is probably worth a quick chat about because it's, it's a, it is a cultural notion, but it's not, it's not just landscape and it's not just native trees. It's actually a spiritual condition. It's a cultural condition. And what it how it actually comes into existence is because it's the thing that you you walk around, you become part of, and you, you bind memories and experiences to it. So, and I don't believe that's just an Aboriginal thing. Non-Aboriginal people do this as well. Um, and the, the classic example is cemeteries. So there's a feeling that's attached to that place. Um, we have a thing called song lines, and what a song line is here is essentially that. It's as you over time, over generations, you start to build up these stories around places that have emotional connections to them. And their spaces, sometimes they're in the landscape, sometimes they're in buildings or in between the two. Um, and that becomes part of how you end up as a people belonging to the place as opposed to just owning it as a, as a sort of an asset. So there's, there's sort of a different way of being bound to something. Yeah, it's a beautiful and poetic idea, uh, and, and of course very real. Yeah, um, yeah. But I did a house for myself uh, using, and it, you know, it, it's sort of highfalutin as it can kind of sound, and I've struggled for years to explain it concisely. I think I still am, but I used the idea to actually detail a door handle in a door, and, and the difference uh, in my house was that instead of uh, attaching a door handle, I cut one out of the door. So it was just because I was thinking of those terms, it was like make the mass of the house and then carve out the spaces, the big spaces, the smaller spaces, the smaller details as far as I could. And of course it doesn't answer everything. So that, that's the whole thing about having this understanding of all the layers of things that can influence the outcome. But um, I have to start with the one I'm most familiar with, which is that. Yeah, that's, that's clear. And um, I mean, to take this up even another level than your you how do these ideas interface with the uh, the tower you're building? Is that what you called it a tower? I wasn't sure if it was a skyscraper or. Yeah, it's a um, it's a timber uh, CLT timber tower in Sydney. So that's um, so with my architectural practice work, I'm in a practice called BBN, but we won uh, with Shop Architects in New York the, this competition to do a this high rise timber tower down in um, well, Sydney. What is the high rise? You say you said it, it's built with timber. I don't know. Yeah, so CLT is cross-laminated timber. So rather than using concrete and steel and all those things, we're using um, yeah, we're using timber <laughs> instead. It's a timber product that. Um, but that's unheard of. That typically doesn't happen in towers, correct? That's right. Yeah. So this will be one of the, the tallest towers, um, definitely in the southern hemisphere, if not the world. How tall will it be? Good question. It is. I'm just double checking. As we speak, uh, forty stories. Forty stories. So that would that would be timber. the tallest 
what would you say the tallest tower in timber in in the in the in the world possibly? Yeah, just double checking this. What's it say here? I haven't really caught up on the marketing of it. So it says Aussie tech well, well, behemoth Atlassian revealed plans to build the world's tallest hybrid timber building in Sydney, which will serve as new headquarters, forty stories, hundred meters. That, that does that does sound like the tallest one, yeah. Mm, or that's yeah. the that's potentially the idea. So yeah. So fascinating. So how does some of the ideas we've been talking about, uh, country, space, song lines, fit well, into something like that? If, if it does, it seems like it that's does. A, kind of how, how you're thinking, right? How you're approaching. Yeah, it does. Because look, the, the, what I've described to you is like one part of the process, and there's two other parts that make up the kind of you know um, the notion of designing with country. And um, if one you know the one I just described is actually how you arrive at settings and details and all that those sorts of things, but there's two other parts, and one of them's to do with um, all things uh, that allow you to care for country, <clears throat> and caring for country means you, um, you know, in other words, more conventional terms, it means you minimise energy use, um, energy draw, all those sorts of things that um, uh, have an ambition of actually not just um, having a, a neutral effect on the environment, but actually um, making up the Damage that's already been done, if not on the site, in the in that immediate locale. So that that particular one is the one that's um, uh, been embraced heavily. And shop do that in their work, and we do it in our work. Um, we do it. It's a technical sort of thing, and or technical pursuits. Mm -hmm. so it's just one of those things we can measure and go right. We've done this, 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 this. We've repatriated this part of um, the landscape that the site's on. The, the building's uh, putting energy back into the grid. It's, um, it's minimising what it needs to do in order to do that, and uh, it's ongoing uh, running costs for the future. Um, ensure that we're, we're in a carbon positive um, state. So that, that's what's really exciting about it. So yeah, that means we're not damaging country. We're not damaging the thing that you know um, that sustains us. Right, 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 and. Um and was there a third element, did you say? There is, yeah. And that, that's to do with how far we can take, um, once we understand that bit of country that we're in, because um, Australia is made up of over 300 countries, if, if you look at it through an Aboriginal lens, um, a bit like Europe in that way, um, then uh, the direct country that the site sits on, is um, it has its own palette. And there's palettes of materials, there's palettes of colours, there's palettes of landscape. Um, flora, fauna, all of these things add up to give you an incredible uh, array of not just the materials that would um, uh, potentially work there or are available there, but also just colours that actually belong to that place. So rather than you know the practice picking up a, the, lo the local sort of fashion magazine for the hottest colour from somewhere else on the planet, saying, what is it you can draw out of this place? And those things have started to affect um, uh, that selection of materials, the way uh, we're augmenting um, the landscape selection through the whole building, because there's a every four, fourth or fifth floor, there's a, it's actually a garden that, um, if you imagine a reverse cigarette step on top of each other, that, that's what the section looks like for every fourth floor. It's this massive garden that the three floors above it look down onto. So everyone's working in a garden all the way up this tower. So it's a vertical garden, which is what I find amazing. But they're all species from the from the area. 
And, and you've mentioned a few things that you, you said through an Aboriginal lens, if you're looking at how many, how many countries are within Australia, and, and, and also songlines, which I believe is an Aboriginal um, idea, that seems to figure greatly into your thinking and, and approach. Well, and then you also talked about this palette of, 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 of colors based on, um, you know, as I understand it, Aboriginal lives, history, uh, that seems to take a central role in your, in, in your thinking. Is, is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the palettes are uh, probably uh, a little bit more um, objective in the way that they just come straight out of what's around you when you look out the door. Um, and in some cases, so the way I do it is that I, I would look into the ground. So I look at the geology first, what, what's the ground. Then I'd look at the hydrology, how, how does the water perform on that ground. And then I look at what that hydrology sustains in terms of flora. And then I look at what that flora attracts in terms of fauna. And then immediately I've got a sense of the geography in a very objective sort of scientific way. And from that I can then understand um, ancient Aboriginal occupation of the site. So how did this bit of site relate to the rest of that country? Um, and I can understand you know, what's happened since colonial occupation and then I can understand where we are right now. Um, and out of that, it, it, all the prompts, you can, you know, like they just pop up and it's like a matter of then subjectively as the creative is to pick the things and work with the things that can make sense. Um, so everywhere I do well, it, I, I, it's amazing like that. I like that. It sounds like a very sophisticated and... and um and kind of wide awake approach and, and contemporary approach. Is that an approach that's shared by many of your colleagues, uh, fellow architects in, in, in Australia? Is, this, is, is that something that's a, a common way of, of thinking or approaching things to some extent? Or, or is that no, thinking itself somewhat marginalized? Yeah, yeah no, it's, I guess uh, Australia's, um, well, in terms of registered architects, there's less than 10 of us in Australia. Um, and although we, we share, I think, cultural origins, I think we all practice in very different ways. Um, and even this idea of how you engage with the concept of culture and country, um, we've got the whole spectrum. So others in our little cohort um, think about it more symbolically. Um, my thing is, I sort of at the other end of that spectrum, I'm thinking about it more spatially so that by the time you get to the end of the work as an architect, the artist um, is able to either have a setting that becomes part of it or, sorry, they can contribute to that setting or draw something else out. But what my sort of belief is I, I, I have this running argument with friends here who are artists to say that you can't be an architect and an artist. You have to serve one master or the other or you have to have the courage to be one or the other. So we, as architects, we can get out of hand and uh, as an industry and pretend we're artists, and I think that's a really dangerous thing. And so, so how do you situate yourself? You know, I would, I, without hearing that first, I would have, uh, I understand that kind of conflict or that discussion or that argument. Yeah, I, I would have said that you inhabit both realms, but do you, you define yeah. yourself differently? Well, I, I was trained as an architect. Um, and the closest I've come to moving towards you know, the, the idea of an artist is to pre present myself as a creative. But 
the the thing, and I'm putting these in capital A artist definitions in capital A architects. I think the the, the reason I absolutely um, respect artists of the capital A variety is that they've absolutely committed to that um, that realm, and that they start at the limit and move beyond it. Whereas architects, we work absolutely within the limits. You know, we're, we're legislated. We have professional concerns, you have all these things that surround what we do as, as practicing architects. So one is working up to a limit and one's working beyond it. And I think um, I'm, I'm very careful. I get the, it's a bit of a running joke with all my friends who are local artists because they, they occasionally, if they want to wind me up, introduce me as one and then I spend the next five minutes explaining why tongue and cheek sure. I actually have incredible respect for, for genuine artists because I think that they've really put themselves out there and they're that just takes an immense amount of courage, I think, to to um to do that, stand outside mainstream society. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and 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 thanks so much for for putting that so well. And and thanks for all you've said so far. I, I want to ask you one more question, a little off topic, which is, what are you reading at the moment? Well, look, I, what I'm reading, and this is going to sound a little bit wanky in the way we say it in Australia, but um, I didn't get a lot of philosophy at university, uh, well not as much as I would have liked to if we, if we got architectural theory which is good for architecture but not that much useful everywhere else and the thing I've been trying to work backwards through is um, genuine philosophy so I've got this book called Existentialism from Dostoevsky to Sartre and it's by a guy called Walter Kaufman and I'm just trying to work through it and catch up on all the things I've missed out on that um, and it's, you know, for the first time to it, it's just incredibly fascinating. And this book was printed, it says here, in 1956. So I've got to pick up on Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Rilke, Kafka, Jaspers, Heidegger, all the, all the ones I'm sure you guys are familiar with, but um, I spent way nobody, too much nobody, time Nobody's serving. familiar enough, but nobody's familiar enough with those. That sounds great reading, very exciting. Well, Sky Coffin's just written it in such a... It's, it's like you're sitting at the pub with someone and he's describing it in such a fantastically accessible way, which is probably my level. It's good. <laughs> well, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's great to talk to you too. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.